before I, I do a quick intro, Mita, I've got a funny story on that. Uh, a few months ago, I went to our local jiu-jitsu club and we had a what's called a jiu-jitsu grading. So we all get together, we do some stuff and like we all practice jiu-jitsu and then some people got their black belts and so on. And I was walking onto the mat and um, this old guy probably, he must have been, well, I say old, like he was maybe 75 okay. and he runs over and he grabs him by the wrist and he looks me in the eye. How old are you? I went, 43. <laughs> oh my God, he goes, I thought you were the same age as me. <laughs> All the worries. Because my beard is completely white. My white, hair yeah. is, is, is nearly gone white as well. I've got a little bit of darkness here. But what's interesting yeah. to me that I grew it and then uh, I shaved it off. And I've been having a beard nearly since the, the COVID thing started or stubble or, you know, never been clean shaven. And then when I did shave it off a few weeks ago, Loads of people said to me, mm, you look weird with a beard, shave it back. Even my wife went, I don't normally tell you what to put in your face, but you look a bit odd. I think you should grow something back. So I've got to that stage where I've entered the old man realms. I have to have a beard. Well, I think what happens is that one of the things that happened with COVID is that people decided not to shave and realize how much time they were saving Yeah, on a regular basis. So if you, you know, if you stack up all those 15 minutes you spend every day, at the yeah. end of a month, you have like, you know, 15 times 30, you know, minutes that you've saved up. So, yeah. The, 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 the true reason why I stopped shaving um, is because I had this um, neck fusion last year where you can see the oh, remnants yes. of the scar I, here. So it went in through the front. And because my left arm had so much um, atrophy in it and my left pec, basically after the surgery, I couldn't even lift my hand up to my shoulder. So um, it took me about six months to, to lift my hand over my head, right? And so... I would shave with this hand, but trying to get around was very awkward. So I thought, and you couldn't shave. My, I couldn't shave my neck because the scar was quite bad for a while. And so I just didn't bother shaving for ages. That, 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 was, that was the real excuse. I wasn't trying to be trendy or, you know, be the yeah. hipster. Well, that, was I, the, that was the real excuse. <laughs> we'll have to attest to that because I remember, you, I, uh, well, you put it up on Twitter and um, on Instagram. So I was following your, uh, your surgical journey <laughs> and the recovery. It was for quite, everybody to take a look at. It was, it was quite good. And one of the reasons I put that up was because I wanted to show people, like, you know, even with a serious injury, you can get up and, you know, okay. get, get forward from it, you know, uh, and move on. One of the interesting things about that was when I was in the hospital, every time the nurses came around, um, I was gone. And so when I came back to the room, and they were like, where were you? I said, well, the surgeon said to move around. Yeah, walk down to the end of the hall. What are you doing? I said, I'm trying to do 10,000 steps a day. You realize you've had your head cut open yesterday and you're trying to do 10,000 steps a day. I was like, listen, if I don't move around this hospital, I said, the last thing I'll be worried about is my head. I'll go insane. Yeah. <laughs> so I was doing 20 minutes on, 20 sleep? minutes off. Did you get enough sleep after the surgery? Yeah, it was pretty good because um, one of the benefits was with the whole COVID thing, there was really nobody in the hospital. It was only maybe about 10% capacity and mine wasn't deemed elective. So they, they, they left me alone. And then uh, the nurses that were looking after me were really good. And they asked me like what I did. And I said, like a sleep scientist. And one of the ladies goes, one of the nurses goes, like, well, maybe I'll just leave you for the evening then. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, do. And I think she just said, I'll leave the window, I'll leave the door open. I'll just come in and I'll, you know, I'll just throw an eye over you and make sure you're okay. But um, didn't wake me up. I, I had some really good sleeps there and had a few naps during the day, which was really good actually. And the hospital was really nice here in uh, St. John of God's and Subiaco was really nice. And there's nice trees outside and, it was, it was, it was actually, they, they were absolutely fabulous. Like they were, they were great, you know? Um, well, I have really to tell you that, so, so that sounds typically quite contrary to what happens in hospitals because yeah. typically what happens in hospitals is that people come in. So the nursing staff or the night tech or, um, you know, somebody who's coming to draw blood will come in and they'll randomly come in during the night and disturb people. Yeah. And I think, I think the fact that you were undisturbed because it was COVID and it wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that busy. I think that definitely played a role in your recovery. Oh, yeah, I, I, I would say so, yeah. I think the last time I was in hospital before that was when I had um, sort of the acute symptoms of my neck injury, maybe mm -hmm. a year before that. And mm -hmm. I was in hospital overnight in an orthopedic ward, and it was horrendous. Yeah. I was yeah. awake like every hour. There was people yeah. moaning, groaning. There was buzzers going off. There was mm -hmm. nurses talking. There was kettles being boiled it was just like yeah. it was just like a train station and i was like oh 
sweet lord like <laughs> i don't get her sleep there and i woke up the night they kept me in for one night observation i woke up the next morning and i was just and they kept Oof. me flat in the bed and i was just absolutely wrecked like i remember walking out of the hospital to let me go and i said to my wife i just want to go home and lie in my own bed i'm completely yeah. wrecked i feel like i've been up all night i said i haven't felt like that in the ages i rather i would have rather worked a night shift overnight which which is actually interesting when we when we think about it isn't it um you know from a sleep and recovery perspective it's um you wonder how much of this lack of sleep in these environments is really playing into people's recovery when we know it's such an important part. So I wonder how we can balance. Obviously, you know, I don't work in that area, but how do you balance like not interrupting the sleep, but also getting the obs and ensuring the patient's safety? It's kind of a fine balance, isn't it? Right, right. And and I think so there is this growing science of circadian science and how it what it has to, you know, how it relates to all medical disorders. And even the timing of medication, and um, uh, and and should also um, be used when people are making their schedules. Yeah. So that so that the patient isn't disturbed, and even people who are on call are able to do what they do in the most effective manner. You know, I mean, that's there is, and 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 that takes that takes a. Um, extra effort it's it's a growing science but as you and i know um ian you know every every rhythm in your body you know every, every cell in your body and every physiological function has a circadian hmm. rhythm and then if you and if you can you know align everything in accordance to that that would be great yeah uh, of course there's, yeah you know there's some inter-individual uh variation and how to fit all of that into it but 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 largely but largely it would be it would have to be organizational right it has mm. to it has to come from above it has to be organizational and then in addition to the organizational part there has to be some individual variation that some that people would have to bring in and you know perhaps perhaps for every physician visit or every primary care physician um, or you know nurse practitioner or visit that people have doing, you know, taking a simple questionnaire about morning eveningness uh, questionnaire to find out what their chronotype yeah. is now would be something in the future. I mean, I know that, you know, you, like I, I, I do that on a regular basis whenever I'm seeing somebody that's part of, it's part of um, assigning somebody their sleep ID, right? You take all this history, yeah. You know, do all these you know take take you know use some clinically validated tests and sort of you know put them in this category and then and then try to give them uh, suggestions based I think on that's that. i think that's a really interesting thing Mita, because um this has been a reoccurring thing right so in terms of chronotypes either in industry or one-on-one -on -one people so i'll give you an example this is a great story because it only happened last week a friend mm -hmm. of mine um, messaged me and she said oh can i give you a call because I've got some sleep problems, have some challenges, and I want to I want to get referred to somebody. And I said, no problem. Just give me a call and um, tell me about the problem. And I'll tell you who's best to go to, whether it's like a you know a psychiatrist, a sleep physician, a psychologist, or whatever. Anyway, she starts talking. I'm listening, and it's exactly what you're saying. She goes to bed really late, mm -hmm. but her life is about getting up early in the morning for swimming, for work, and everything. She went to her GP. The GP said. Oh, no, it's not a sleep issue. You probably just have allergies because you're at home with your cat more often. I right. was like, what? <laughs> like, what, what is that? Right. Anyway, right, right. she's like, right. what? The GP, I said, well, look, let's look at it. I said, the GP probably gets about eight hours of sleep training in their whole career. Right. That's that's another problem. So I started talking to her more and more. And it's exactly what you said, Mita. Extreme owl chronotype, like really productive, like around six, seven, eight o'clock in the evening. If, if, you know, I asked her if you run holidays, what would you do? She goes, I'd probably fall asleep at 2 a.m., wake up at 10 a.m. And I, mm -hmm. you know, probably go swimming or running at like 7 or 8 in the evening. I said, if you can switch your life to do that, that's the best thing. So optimize your own chronotype. And if not, you're going to have to use, um, you know, a series of interventions to move you back, like light therapy, potentially medication, working right. with somebody. And that could take you yeah, six months or it may never happen for you. Uh, that might be just you're your, your stuck in that kind of chronotype. And the relief in her voice was like, oh, I thought like I had something wrong. I was Googling this and Googling that. 
Uh, people at work were saying, what's wrong with you? You just need to do this. You just need to do that. And like everybody was an expert. And I was like, no, it's chronotype distribution. Like, and we have this well, anthropologist will tell you, we have this even split like within society between these three ones. So optimize it if you can. Well, and I, yeah, that's the other thing that people should know that, uh, you know, for it to be a disorder, the, the lifestyle should be out of sync with your chronotype, right? The yeah. chronotype is not the disorder. That's just you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, so, so if I'm a morning person and I'm, you know, I, I was told that I had to do the night shift. My being a morning person is not the problem. It's the night shift that's the issue. And so that's where there is, if there is room for maneuvering, that's where the first maneuvering should occur. You know, that's where we should make a change because I was, um, uh, so, so, you know, as part of my consulting, I'll, I'll, I sometimes work with C-suite executives and I'm working with this really young guy. So he's out of, um, out of the East Coast and um, really smart, works really hard, is definitely a night owl, but, you know, has to have like his first board meeting starts at 7, 7.30. Well, why are you doing that? Well, because that's what, that's when everybody yeah, yeah. wants to do board meetings. But aren't you the CEO? Yes. Well, can you move that for a couple of hours and see what that, you know, if that, that makes a difference? And even moving it to by from seven o'clock to eight thirty makes a big difference because you know lives in a building where his flat's right on the top, so he can actually roll out of bed at eight o'clock and yeah, you yeah. Know, make it down to the boardroom by eight thirty. And of course, with COVID, even easier because didn't really actually have to move out of his apartment to to do these meetings. So yeah, I, I think I think that I think that. Um, I think, I think identifying where you're at is very useful, not just, not just for you, useful for yourself, but also useful, you know, for, so for you and I, when we're working with, with team sports, also useful to see where they fit in the, in, um, in the entire team. Yeah. Right. Because then that can maybe help you in making some adjustments to that schedule. Although, you know, there can be, that can be difficult to do. That can be diff very difficult to do. So one of the things that happened last year is for example, in the NBA, because of the COVID testing, uh, a lot of teams shifted practices to the mid afternoon, you know? So more in alignment to, to actually game timings. And you would think that players would be way happier. They weren't. They were not because, you know, they have this set schedule that they've done for years in which they wake up in the, in the morning, you know, get there about, you know, I don't know, nine, 10, whatever yeah. time, do the morning practice, finish all their stuff, speak to the press, go back home to their hotels or to the houses, take this long nap, then decide whether they're going to, you know, if they have to play a game, come for the game, or then otherwise they're free for the evening. And, and when you, when, when, their schedules were more like the afternoon shift in which they didn't have to come till the, till the mid afternoon. And then they stayed there. You know, it really bothered them because they didn't get enough time to spend with their families. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, so it's, 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 you know, yeah, it is. It's a balance, right? Outwardly, it's like very simple. You look at it and you're like, well, this is all you need to do. This is what your schedule looks like. This is what I want you to do. Oh yeah. But you know, I have this, six-year-old who comes back from school and when do I see him otherwise if this is what you're going to do to me right because this me and so that those are the things that you've taken into consideration too yeah I think that's 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 exactly right and when we work with businesses around design and fatigue risk management systems which is probably about 80 percent of our business um, in mm -hmm. the industry that is exactly that it's trying to get the timing of the mm -hmm. shift optimi optimizing the shift for like circadian uh, variables biology physiology in line with mm -hmm. production. So it kind of gets driven from here's the business need, here's the productivity right. needs, here's right. the range of rosters, here's right. then how those rosters will marry up with people's, you know, family and social life. And then you've got to try to incorporate some chronotype or circadian variation in there as well, which is very, very difficult to find a balance between every one of them. And I think this kind of is a nice um, leapfrog to what's happening at the moment in the world of COVID with people having, with lack of travel, um, yes. now we have lots of people having these international meetings or like you were saying with your friend having the board meeting 
And I think this is the challenge is that sometimes people go, right, well, we're just going to have a board meeting at this time. But that okay. might be 9 a.m. on the East Coast of the U.S. It might be, you know, six um, in the on the know, West Coast, six in the morning on the West Coast, but it might be uh, midnight in Sydney. Right. And so yeah. and it's kind of like, all right, l- let's be honest here. We go, you're never going to get the perfect time. But keeping it at the same time the whole time is not good either. So you might want to have like a kind of a rotating roster. And for want of a better word, let everybody eat a little bit of shit every now and then <laughs> to, yeah. to kind of let it roll around the clock. So everybody, well, it's not always the one group that has to get up at one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning. Have a rotation or look for the optimizing the optimization. It doesn't have to be the start of the morning for you guys in America or for the people in Australia. We can have these kind of windows of opportunity that we can look at. Well, so here's another thing, you know, you were talking about fatigue management and giving them schedules. The other thing for people to realize is that when you give somebody a shift and you say, well, you, you know, they're working from say seven in the morning to 7 p.m. And so, you know, they're on for 12 hours and they're off for 12 hours. You know, their shift did not begin at seven in the morning. Their shift began when they woke up. And you don't know what time, you don't know what time they woke up. Because they could have, you know, they could have woken up at five in the morning or, you know, 4.30 in the morning because they had this drive into work, et cetera, right? So it's not, you know, that, that's the other thing that people have to, when, when it comes from to organizations, they have to take that into, uh, into consideration. And, you know, when it, comes to, when it comes to predicting fatigue or managing sleep, honestly, it's, it's, we, we really have to almost like draw a line in the sand. It's, it's, I always tell people, it's like, it's almost like, you know, drunk driving, you know, for the longest, there was a lot of pushback on, you know, well, how much can you drink before you can, you're impaired, right? And so they could be back and forth. And, and really my, a glass of wine for me may, you know, may, you know, oh, may I'd, 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 be, I'd, I'd be absolutely pissed out my brain on one glass of wine. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. That's what I'm yeah. saying. But for, for somebody else, they can drink half a bottle and, you know, not be impaired. And, and, and to take that ambiguity away is why we came up with a blood alcohol level, you know, because the blood alcohol level is like a line in, this, in the sand. The blood alcohol level doesn't really accurately predict, you know, what the impairment is going to be because people... People, you know, there is some some amount of subjective and, you know, how long they've been drinking, you know, yeah. how long, how, you know, how used they are to the alcohol. But but we drew that 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 line. Right. And so I think I think sorry about that. So I think that's exactly what we need to do is when it comes to a number of hours that you've been awake in the last 24 hours is to find, you know, it's like, if you've been awake for, if you've been, if you've slept less than five hours in the last 24 hours, or, you know, less than 12 hours in the last uh, 48 hours, you're going to be impaired. Yeah, I think this is a, 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 this is a nice segue, Mita, because I didn't tell you about this, but we had a paper accepted for publication on Friday in Applied mm-hmm. Ergonomics, which is a Q1 Health and Safety Journal. I'm just going to mm-hmm. share this screen with you. So if anybody is watching on, um, on YouTube, uh, episode of this you'll be you'll be able to see this um and this this data was actually presented last week by Gemma Maisie who's a PhD student um at ECU Eda County University she's doing a scholarship through media's consulting for a PhD and um Gemma presented this so you can go over to sleepforperformance.com.au and or .com sorry and get all these presentations anyway they're freely available just enter in your email address and you got access to 12 great presentations there for free um Mita can you see this infograph yeah. Yeah. So this is exactly this made it. This is people working um, a week, a week away. So a week of days um, continuously and then a week of nights and then they're home for a week in a remote mining operation, approximately, mm-hmm. uh, you know, 1500 kilometers from from Perth, the state capital. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly what you're saying here. On the very first day, they wake up at 3.30 in the morning. They've got to be at the uh-huh. airport at 4.30. Yeah. The flight goes at half five. But then every day shift after that, you can see the amount of sleep that they got. Now, this was in 75 people. So it's the biggest, it's the biggest sample or the biggest cohort in mine and internationally that was ever done. And we measured them with the fatigue science ready band. And this is their average sleep. Then we use biomathematical modeling, safety fast, to calculate these scores of alertness daily. Mm-hmm. So, and the other thing we did as well is exactly what you said, Mita, was the shift started at 5 30 a.m. They had to get on the bus to go there. Before that, they had to get up, have their breakfast, pack their lunch. Yeah. So they were getting up around 
you yeah. know, 10 past four in the morning. So it's yeah. not as simple as like, oh, well, they start at half five and then they're on, they're off. And then you can see what happens here for those day shifts. And then to switch mm-hmm. over after seven days in a row and do seven nights. Mm-hmm. And you can see the, the sleep duration that they get, you know, yeah. from no, it never gets over like seven hours. And yeah. on the night shift here, it's less than six hours. And so the other thing then is, oh, well, people get used to that. But you can see here in this biomathematical modeling, it's actually a slow decline over time. Right. So there's no improvement or adaptation to it. Yeah. Um, and then that's why this time off is so important. And we talk about recovery at the start of the episode, like in hospitals, you nearly want to think about this as that time as well. This is your time to kind of recharge your battery and go back again. Because if you take that week off and just go to the casino and go crazy and have a good time, it's not going to be very good. So this fits in exactly to, to um, what you were just discussing there. Because we do this with companies as well. We say to them, the roster is one thing on paper when it starts and finish. But when you look at the yes. roster in its true entirety, it can yeah, be a different, different story. Different. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, I was, I was play, working with a few golfers and, you know, if they're, um, depending on how well they're doing, sometimes, you know, it, you know, sometimes they have to work, play later in the day. But if they're not doing as well, sometimes their games are starting earlier. Yeah. So, you know, for them, for, for them to be at the golf course at 730 you know, they're waking up way early because they're trying to like, you know, warm up, do all these calisthenics, yeah. you know, trying to get prepared, you know, getting into the mindset, et cetera. And it really all adds up. And then, you know, if they, they make it towards the end of the week and they start playing better, then, you know, their game t- timing will suddenly change. Now they have to, you know, shift to that. And, it, you know, it, that can have, that makes it difficult for people to sleep because you can't really fall asleep on command. You know, you can't, yeah. you know, <laughs> So that's the, that's the other thing, right? When people, I was at a, a dinner party the other. We are having dinner parties here, by the way, uh, in in Michigan now that we all like vaccinated. So, and they were talking about disgraceful, these, disgraceful. I know. Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry to rub it in. You should hide <laughs> under. You should hide under your bed for the rest of your life. <laughs> we're allowed to do that as long as we're vaccinated. So, um, uh, have you been vaccinated? I don't talk about those things. I, that's like oh, okay, me asking. Yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah, that, that's like that's like me asking you. You know, what sort of diseases do you have? I I don't talk about that because you know why, Mita? You can't win either way. Yeah. So I'm sick. I'm sick of getting into yeah. arguments. So I just go look. I don't talk about everything in my medical history. If I do, you'll see it on Instagram. If not, don't ask me because I'm not talking right, about. Because I did see I did see the entire surgical process on Instagram. It was it was nice to to follow. I mean, I I'm sure. I'm sure you got a lot of well wishes out of that. I, I actually, I, my only regret is I want, I should have gotten to film the surgery and put it up. That would have been cool. But I think he was probably worried that if he, if I died, he would be, he would be yeah. uh, culpable. But I was like, I don't really care if I die. <laughs> That's right. You'd be the last person to be concerned then. Yes. So yeah. Anyway, also so, vaccine topic. <laughs> yeah. So a dinner party. So we're, and they're talking about this thing called polyphasic sleep, which is, yeah. There's only one word for it, stupid. And um, and so, and you know, and, and I was trying to explain to him that, you know, you really can't, I mean, of course, when you do that on a regular basis, you're so sleep deprived, you'll fall asleep anywhere. But but really, you're not, you know, at nine or 10 in the morning, if, you know, if you if your regular bedtime is 11 and you wake up at seven, at 10 or 11, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be falling asleep. Uh, you know, mm. you should be wide awake. Your, your wake drive is quite high at that time. So... Yeah, and I think a lot of people read these articles about like biphasic or so really what yeah. we have is monophasic one block or biphasic two or polyphasic like many. Yeah. And people read these great articles and go, well, look at Margaret Thatcher and Winston Churchill. Well, Margaret Thatcher died of like, I think, Alzheimer's right. and dementia. So um, that's that's not a that's not a good sign either. So we know that long term sleep deprivation causes these things. The other thing as well is um I, I said to people is be very skeptical of what you read in a magazine um, or even online because there's lots of clickbait and you see these people getting up at 4 a.m. and doing these workouts. Yes. Follow Mark Wahlberg and all these other people and see how many naps they're having during the day. Because yes. there's one thing getting up at 4 a.m., but Mark Wahlberg isn't running around with four kids trying to do a professional job, uh, yes. trying to do an MBA and do a triathlon on the weekend and clean his house. So Mark Wahlberg has got like, millions of dollars and probably has nannies cleaners everybody running around and mark Wahlberg can click his fingers and have an hour rest whenever he wants to you don't you got to go and sit in meetings for the day so yeah. be very skeptical about what you read you know and mm. what goes on and mark Wahlberg and others might be 
you know, filling themselves full of Mexican supplements as well, or any other sort of vitamins that we don't even know about. So there's this kind of tendency to believe everything that's, you know, yeah, in, the, in, in a magazine. Like and it's, and it's, it's not, not the case. I think there's very few. I haven't seen anybody in the athletic world or the business world do polyphasic sleep and be an absolute gun. Have you? Yes. Yeah. No, no. And, no. And here's the thing. The thing is that they talk about um, Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, mm. uh, how he would, um, you know, he, he didn't really need any sleep. And then if you look at his pictures, you know, whatever pictures there are available, uh, photographs at, from that time. I mean, he's, he's come to um, visit Henry Ford here in Detroit and he's fast asleep. He's taking a nap while the other people are talking. So, so yeah, yeah I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult because, you know, people drink a lot of caffeine and then, you know, then they, you, you mix that with the amount of sleep that they're getting. And then, you know, the, it's all, it's all a mishmash, but I always tell people that if you, if you can't get through a day without drinking tons of co coffee, there's a problem. Yeah. Well, that should be a, an indication to you that there's, there's an issue with how much sleep you're getting. Yeah, oh, exactly. And I think the other part about that as well, Mita, is that people just don't like listen to their body. Um, so I've yeah. actually, over the last couple of years, identified with the fact that I've been at home so much not traveling, I've really figured out that I'm a seasonal sleeper. Mm -hmm. And okay. I haven't seen much on this, but I would like, so now we're starting to move into spring and I'm starting to wake up earlier and earlier and earlier. And part mm -hmm. of it might be environmental noises outside. Yeah. So lots of trees run, so there's birds chirping around and so on. But the other thing is just naturally this morning at 5.40 before the birds started, I started to wake up. But what's happening then is my sleep onset time is coming becoming earlier. So like last night at about 8.45, I wanted to go to bed. I read for 45 minutes. And so I found this is like this, but mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the earlier time is happening with the, with the sunrise. So I feel like I'm more kind of synchronized to the sunrise and that could be a function of age. It could be a function of just being in a regular pattern, whatever. But when I was younger, I'd be definitely more of an owl chronotype, but as I'm getting older, I'm sort of getting more towards a lark, but I definitely feel seasonal variation across the year. And I think, I think it's also hard for people to tune into that. To, to what's going on with their own bodies because of, like you said, lots of caffeine, then it might be alcohol at night, it might be other things as well. Like the other one I'm seeing a lot of these days is, and it's probably due to the legalization in America and probably people like the Joe Rogan podcast and everybody else, the amount of people advocating marijuana for sleep yeah. is, up, is, is unbelievable. And when you start talking to people about it, they have no idea. And then they'll quote a comedian or some guy on a podcast, but they said, I'm like, you're talking to a guy that, has a high school education. And I'm telling you that all the scientific literature from people way smarter than me have shown that it doesn't help sleep. But, yeah. but, but like, and I, are you seeing the same thing in the U S around these? Yes. Kind of, yeah. yes. Well, first of all, I'd like to comment that, you know, the fact that you um, mostly work from your own home, the fact that you, you know, you get into bed on at, uh, on time and then wake up with approximately, you know, close to sunrise. Yeah. Well, then, you know, as the season changes, um, the timing of sunrise changes, right? Exactly, so now, yeah. right. So now that it's coming for you, it's it's spring's coming and summer's coming, so it's going to be daylight earlier. And so, yes, it makes absolute sense that you'd wake up earlier, right? Yeah. And I think I think um, the fact that you know that, and and that makes a difference. So when you're working with when you're working with athletes, they're often in tune with their bodies more, but they often also, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to get waylaid or, you know, to get to listen to the people who surround them and who listen mm. to podcasts to get all the information that they want. And so yeah, if, you're yeah. to Joe Rogan or if you're listening to, you know, somebody who's talking about, um, you know, THC or marijuana, well, then that's what you're going to try and do. Mm. And I, here's the thing. So if you, if you're using marijuana and you do it for about a week or 10 days and then you stop, you're likely to have a withdrawal effect. And one of the first things that happens when you get withdrawal is that you get anxious and you have insomnia. And so you, what do you do immediately? Well, you say, well, I'm anxious and I'm, yeah, yeah, I have yeah. more sleep. So why don't I, yeah, why don't I smoke more? And now suddenly because you smoked and, I, and you got rid of those withdrawals, now you feel that, oh, it's helping me with my my insomnia and it's helping me with my um, anxiety, but you actually caused that by, but you know, by stopping what you were taking. So, 
Yeah, and the other one as well, where um, so if you think about marijuana in two brackets of THC and CBD, mm-hmm. it's the CBD component, the non-psychoactive component yeah. that is being trialed and used and yeah. so on in different settings. So I'm interviewing Jennifer Walsh from um, Center for Sleep Science at University mm-hmm. of Western Australia and next Friday because Jen did a clinical trial that was published a few weeks ago looking at the benefits of CBD with this therapeutic drug um, with a company called Zelda. Mm-hmm. Um, might, might have changed her name now. But anyway, basically, you know, that CBD does help with insomnia and they did like yeah. lab PSG and so on. That's non-psychoactive. So it's mm-hmm. not saying people are extrapolating that saying, oh yeah, marijuana helps with sleep. No, it's the CBD component in a certain mm-hmm. amount of milligrams per body weight and so on. So I'll be digging into that with, with Jen. The other part then that people um, have reported, and I've had a few guys come to me because in the jiu-jitsu community, martial arts, there's a lot of pot smoking that goes on. And mm-hmm. so guys have come to me and said, yeah, I've given up pot, but I'm having crazy dreams, like crazy vivid dreams. And it's gone on for weeks and weeks. I'm like, yeah, how long do you smoke pot for? Or oh, like four years, five years, whatever. Yeah, that's called REM rebound. They're like, what's that? Well, because marijuana actually suppresses or inhibits the amount of REM sleep, the dreaming sleep that you get, which basically improves your or you know your cognitive performance during the day. Hence why maybe potheads go around acting like they're a bit silly. It's actually inhibiting that that sleep. So what happens is when you when you remove that substance, your body wants to make it up. I said that happens for people with sleep apnea. That happens for people in all different groups. Your body wants to prioritize REM sleep over non-REM. So it's trying to make up all that, that REM sleep from all those years. I said people who do shift work, night shift for 20 years have this as well. I had one lady tell me years ago, she did permanent night shift for 20 years. And for two years, she had crazy nightmares afterwards. It took her yeah. two years to get over it. And that was like a probably a consequence of REM rebound. So that's the other part as well. So you might be, you know, it's it's like everything. There's no biological free ride. You're going to pay the price eventually. So yes. your body wants to make it up. So this kind of, you know, um, marijuana fixes all is, is not true. I'm yeah. sorry to burst everybody's bubble, but it's not true. Yes, but but people are, you know, uh, it's 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 difficult sometimes to convince people about, especially yeah. completely sold. And, you know, the more, the, the longer they've been using it, the more difficult it is. And it's because of the withdrawals. Because when you stop, it does cause, it does make, you know, it, it does make them more anxious and may have more insomnia. And, and really, you know, if, if the kind of work that you and I do, if, if we could give a pill, if I could give a pill to somebody and said, you take this pill, you'll sleep only one hour, you can be awake for 23 hours and you can be golden, people would take it in a minute. Oh yeah, yeah. But you know, but it the problem is that you you do have to put in some hard work to mm. allow sleep to happen, and you know, and once that once you put in that hard work, at some point there is you know there is sunlight coming out, some sunshine on the other end, but it just still does require some persistence and some work. Yeah, and I think Mita, if we had that pill, we'd be Richard and Bill Gates and uh, Mark Zuckerberg yep. combined. We'd be we wouldn't be talking in this podcast. We'd be uh, right. we'd be doing we'd be doing this interview from the space station because we'd be that rich. Um, <laughs> so that's interesting. Mita, we we've spoken a lot about um, chronotypes and you know usage of substances and so on. But what lies behind that is when people maybe would look at these things via questionnaires or consultation with people like myself or yourself, or they've gone through all these and gone, but there's still a problem. Um, what's your current assessment of the prevalence of sleep disorders in people today who are uh, in these athletic fo- uh, areas or C-suite executives or in businesses? What are you seeing around uh, clinical sleep disorders currently? Well, so, you know, remember, so athletes and C-suite executives are typically they're healthier. They're yeah. healthier than the, the general population, but but there are certain populations in which, you know, there are certain sleep disorders that are more prevalent. For example, so if in any sort of collision sport, so anything, any, any sport in which having a large neck size or being larger is an advantage, well, you're going to have higher chance of having them having obstructive sleep apnea in which, you know, when they're breathing at night, their throat closes up and they, they can, this can happen many, many times in an hour. And that's what sleep apnea is, right? So that's number one. Number two is I think, I think what is underdiagnosed is um, insomnia, which is difficulty initiating and maintaining sleep despite the opportunity to do so, or non-refreshing sleep. And yeah. I, and sometimes you know these, you know they're they're high strung, they may be Type A personalities, 
all the things that actually make them very good at what they're doing. They're, you know, they're, they're good at their sport. They're good at, in their, um, at their work in the C-suite may make it more difficult for them to relax and wind down and make it more difficult for them to sleep. And, you know, there is data that shows that, especially, you know, before an important um, event or an important game or important uh, com competition, they have more difficulty falling asleep. And then, of course, uh, there is also a group of people where immediately after um, an important competition, they have difficulty falling asleep because, you know, they're, but, you know, body temperatures are high, cortisol levels are high, and so they have difficulty winding down. And of course, they've drunk all this caffeine to help yeah, them. Yeah. So then they have difficulty falling asleep. I think. I think the other thing is that. Um, so so I would say I would say, you know, insomnia disorders are quite prevalent. So are um, circadian rhythm issues. So not maybe not you know full disorders, but issues. You know, night owls who are who have to wake up in the early in the morning to be. And on practice, the fact that they have to travel and, you know, they get jet lag when they're crossing time zones, the fact that they may be significant, uh, um, you know, they may be morning people, but then because of their games or competition, they have to be active at night and so can't fall asleep and still wake up early and so don't get enough sleep, you know, all of that. And um, there's also, I think there is a, there's also an underbelly of um, uh, prescription medication use, often, often without the team physician knowing about it. So, because, you know, when, especially if you work with pro sports, I mean, you know, these players can get medications from anywhere. And, you know, why would they report it to their team physician if they can have a friend or a fan who's a, you know, who might be able to prescribe it for them. So that's, that's the other thing. And especially, I think, I think, Ian, the, the, the fact that we talk so much about sleep, that, and, and people, they know through the media that sleep is really, really important. So it's not unlikely, it's not unusual for them to actually take a pill at night mm. to help with their sleep the night before the game because they want yeah, to make yeah. sure they get, get good sleep. And then once you get into that habit, it's really, really difficult to stop doing that. I wonder so, how much of that is a, is a placebo effect because, um, you know, if you look at a lot of studies where people were insomnia, the, the efficacy of the med sleep medication is like about 10 nights. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, long-term people who've had chamomile tea every night as a ritual versus those at a sleeping tablet generally have even better sleep, right? Or better sleep onset latency. I remember a few years ago talking to one of the guys at the gym and he was saying he's been on sleep meds for like 10, 12 years. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, that's like, you're just in a habit now of taking it. So right. he, he removed it and mm -hmm. No, no change. Probably, probably better. He said. Mm. Like it's just interesting how you get yourself into this, this kind of routine, the ritualistic part of it, which is which is interesting because I went to a lecture last week on um, the use of psychedelics in mm -hmm. in yeah. South America with an anthropologist, and it was very interesting because he even said that in some of the rituals where they've done experiments in in other groups, not 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 his work, is that people who let's say were in that scene and setting of like doing an ayahuasca ceremony had visions too. So it made me think about the placebo effect and how important that is as well and how many people, and I'd love to run a, a study. I'll probably, I'll probably never get to do it, but I'll, I'll say it here anyway, where we actually did say, Amita, we've invented a pill that makes you sleep like, you know, doesn't matter how much you sleep, you just go to bed. And if you sleep six hours, seven hours, eight hours, we know that biologically you're going to be a hundred percent. And it'd be very interesting to see how people would react to it because yeah. I think that the act of going through that ritual of taking a tablet is mm -hmm. very very key for it's key for a, a number of people and i think that would be very interesting to see the next day and, and subsequent performance around that and how better to feel right and i think i think that, that the same ritual develops for daytime too for alertness you know because that that ritual of drinking that cup of coffee or taking something to help keep you alert it becomes such an in, ingrained thing and especially especially and for for athletes right because they they, there's almost a there's almost a superstition about the rituals that they're going to do yeah, yeah. To prepare for a game. And if you've been diagnosed, for example, with ADHD and you're on medication for that, Mita, I told you we can't discuss my personal case here. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know. <laughs> but but however, however, we have, to, we have to be able to explain all that white hair. So <laughs> so so they will take that medication 
just before the game because they know yeah. it's going well. They, you know, it's that's and and actually, it, it this happens to even older players. I mean, I you know, I was working with a uh, a referee, you know, and and he is older. He's been a referee for many many years, really well respected, and he was talking about how just before the game is the only time he actually drinks caffeine. And of course that night after the game cannot fall asleep at all. Cannot come what may, but sleeps well, you know, all through the, uh, you know, all through the week and actually sleeps perfectly fine when he's traveling too. But it's just that, that caffeine and he, there's no way he's going to stop that caffeine. He's going to mm. drink it. He wants to be, you know, completely on hyper alert. And the other thing he was telling me is that there's actually, He's like, there's no happy crowd when you're an umpire. You yeah, know, yeah. Or, right. So, you know, it doesn't matter what the call is, half the crowd, or at least some percentage of the crowd is always booing at you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it always happens in the last, like, the last, like, five minutes of the game that people are get absolutely mad at, at the call that they've made. It's like stressful life. Yeah, it is. It's pretty, yeah, pretty stressful. Yeah, I never thought about that. You're always the, you're always the villain, aren't you? Yeah, no matter yeah, what, always, you, can, yeah. you can never win. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this, you know, one of them was so uh, during certain high stake games, they actually get they want like a security guard to walk them back. Oh, really? To their, the, yeah, because they're they don't want to be seen in the building or around the building after. Not because of players, but because fans. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, they're, they're irate yeah. people who are. You, you, you know think that they were they did they were wrong in what they were doing and they have you know fan pages and hate pages on the internet against these you know oh, referees because whatever decision making they did that's crazy yeah yeah and the, the other thing i wanted to talk about as well which is um i spoke to michael gradner who we both know about wearable uh-huh. devices we had a bit of a conversation about it a few weeks ago because obviously that's a very changeable market and well, unchangeable in terms of like new devices coming out, different levels of validation and so on. And obviously one of the things with those devices that again, people look at it and think like it's the, the elixir or the silver bullet to right. our sleep problems. Right. And then they get this device and go, actually, I'm sleeping worse. Well, like, what did you think it was going to do? You know, we've, we've spoken about that ad nauseum on this podcast, but one thing that's very interesting, I've been working with a high level athlete in the U S and and one of the things was he was wearing a device, which I won't name, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and his wake after sleep onset, so the amount of time he was waking up overnight was extremely high, like up around two hours. He was getting quite freaked out by it during the day, like there's a problem, there's a problem, there's a problem. I, I don't even remember being awake, what's going on, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, we did level two PSG polysomnography, which is like the gold yeah. standard yeah. At home, like PSG, you have to go to a lab to do it. So in terms of the hierarchy, this is like the second best thing unless we put, brought him into a hospital. We did it with him three nights mm-hmm. in the seven, about a seven-day period. It showed that his wake after sleep onset was about 20 minutes, not, not two hours. So his faith in this wearable device and the data that was coming over not only for the wake, but even like the percentage of time in REM, percentage of time in non-REM and all these things that we know has got poor validation on the sleep stages. He was viewing that after wearing this device for approximately three years, yeah. getting stressed out. But then when we did the polysomnography, we actually removed lots of things, but we identified other things that he didn't even consider. Mm-hmm. And it was like a complete inverse opposite relationship to what was going on. And that's quite eye-opening as well. So I think there's a there's a time period when people go through all these schedules, behaviors, uh, substances, and they kind of keep going back and they still have problems. Then that might be the catalyst to start looking at the clinical sleep disorders, which is over 70 of them, where people like kind of get completely yeah. mystified. Even I've, I've even had people like professors in human physiology, medicine go, oh, 70, when did this happen? It's as if like you've met it up. Like It's like, well, it's been around for a long time. Right. But people, what do you mean sleep disorders? There's just OSA. And you're like, no, I've even had GPs say that to me. I'm like, no, there's like all these. And they're like, yeah. oh, Christ, never even thought about that. I've never even seen that work. Can you send me something? Like, So it's, it's again, it's an ignorance thing. And I mean that in a respectful way where we just don't know. And just like there's lots of things I don't know about. And that's that's right. a part as well where it's it's difficult because so, so, people don't know don't know what they don't know, you know? <laughs> well, so so part of part of what... Uh, you know, I do, and 
is that you want to screen for sleep disorders when you meet somebody, right? Because if you if you miss a sleep disorder and you're treating everything else about sleep, it's like using a bandaid for a fracture. You have to set the bloody fracture first before you can do anything about it. But then speaking to your second point about this, these wearable devices, I, it still it it comes down to the individual. You know, whenever whenever somebody says, oh, you know what, I can't sleep in a strange environment. Oh, I slept at the, at the sleep lab and I had the worst night of sleep ever. It has less to do with the environment, everything to do with the person themselves, right? So there are people who will wear a, a, a device, doesn't matter at all. They're able to sleep. They, you know, they, they look at the data, may not even look at the data, have no difficulty being able to tolerate that. And then there are some people who have difficulty sleeping just wearing the device will make things worse because it's giving them feedback, which is inaccurate, like you, you pointed out. And not just inaccurate, but it's inaccurate in like the, in real time. You know, nobody yeah. needs to know in the morning that I got less deep sleep last night because what am I going to do with that information? There's nothing I can do. You can't command yourself to get more deep sleep. So that's, you know, that's complete nonsense. It's, you know, useless information in my, in, in my opinion. They, nobody needs to know that. And and again, unfortunately, this is the patient or this is the person or, or client who, um, who, who needs more help with their sleep and with whom using that device will not, will not help. Now, sometimes I will tell players or I'll tell people I'm working with that I want you to wear the device and let me worry about it. And I will take a look at it and I'll let you know if I need look at you know to to worry about it or or not but the you know if if you if they're very high strong about their sleep you don't want them to get you don't want to add something else you get worried about because you know not worrying about an occasional night of poor sleep is the biggest advice you can give to anybody right yeah, all yeah. of us need to have one single night where occasional nights in which we sleep poorly because that's just the world that we live in i'm i mean even hunters at hunter and gatherers communities had occasional poor nights of sleep. If you were being chased, yeah, you, yeah. you were stressed out. That yeah. was normal. And you know, the way it the the way to not make this a chronic problem is to ignore it, is to not stress out and not think too much about it. No, I think I think there are there are great points made. I think uh, too people too many people are are kind of stressed out about okay. being like perfect yeah. at work, perfect doing right. a sport you know, perfect at home, having perfect sleep. And then they get right. stressed out because they had a few bad nights sleep or, you know, there's yeah. different things happening. So yeah, I think it's, well, it's definitely it's a holistic issue. Right. Yeah. And, and Ian, you know, you can't really talk about their nighttime sleep in isolation. It's never that it's yeah. everything, you know, there are other things that, that will play a role in it. And that's why, and, and exploring those things makes it really, really important because if you, you know, you really can't help them until you've identified all these other issues that are going on in their lives. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a psychiatrist, so it's just something I do on a, on a normal yeah. basis. But, you, you know, just looking at, looking at anybody with one, uh, you know, a narrow focus is never a good thing because you're not going to get good answers. Uh, you can't do that. You can definitely not do it in your for people sleep now i understand that when you know when you're a you know if you send somebody to a cardiologist you really want them to take a look at their hearts and send them back to you but you want every all the information about their hearts yeah, right even yeah. they would ask you what their what your daily schedule was if you you know what's what sort of diet you're eating it's you you can't just deal with something in isolation it doesn't work like that yeah and i think that's um I often talk about this symbol here behind me on this on the shelf. You can see the yeah. yin yang symbol there. That's um, uh -huh. that's actually a book inside that. If anybody's wondering, it's a the Bruce Lee Tao of Jeet Kune Do collector's edition book, but it's got that beautiful symbol. So I turn it that way on the outside in a nice case. But it's exactly like that because I I often talk to people, and I say to them, right, describe what it's like when you get up in the morning. You know, how many coffees do you have? How long does it take you to get to work? How where do you work? What do you do? When do you have a break? And we get to about maybe five o'clock in the evening and they go, they always go, why are we talking about what I do during the day? I want to talk about my sleep. Yeah. I'm like, it's two sides of a coin. It's yin and yang. Yeah. And the um, American sleep medicine, uh, American Academy of Sleep Medicine actually has that symbol. Yeah, that's sleep that's medicine symbol. It's like that because 
you have to look at what happens during the day because that bleeds into what happens at night and then night bleeds into day and so well one of the presenting one of the presenting symptoms for uh uh, for anybody who's coming to a sleep disorder is daytime fatigue and daytime sleepiness sleepiness, that's what brings them that's why they come to the you know to a to see a sleep physician not because they're having nighttime problems they're like well i'm tired during the day and that's my main problem yeah yeah you know and while while you're investigating that is how you come up with whether they have a sleep problem or if it's something else or if it's the matter Mina, if people want to get in touch with you, follow your work, maybe they want to work with you. Maybe, you know, we got some high level athletes listening to this podcast because we're a very famous podcast here. You know, we might have we? We, we might have people like Joe Biden listening. We might have you know anybody else listening here, Boris Johnson. We might have these high level politicians that might need help with sleep or rich people like Bill Gates listens to this podcast. If they want to get in contact with you, how, how can they get in contact with you? How can they find out more about your work? Well, so my the website is meetasingmd.com which surprise, surprise, I'm actually updating regularly. So, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing for me. Um, but I, and I, and I'm on LinkedIn as well as Twitter and Instagram. And I changed, so on, on, on Twitter, I'm meetasingmd.com, md1, meetasingmd1. But I'll send you the link so you can link it. Example. And put them into the show notes there and people can click on yes. them and find out what Mita's work and there's um if you google Mita's name you'll find out lots of uh you'll find lots of podcasts and other videos there as well be sure to check those out and Mita was a previous has previously been a guest on this podcast talking about um some of these issues with athletes as well so you can go back and listen to that one and uh we've also myself Mita and Michael did a, a kind of a COVID webinar when COVID yeah. kicked off last year right talking about and the challenges of mental health and sleep and so on. Uh, that was back around May, June, 2020. Can you believe it? Yeah. If he, in some ways, it feels like yesterday. In other ways, it feels like 20 years ago. <laughs> it does feel like 20 years ago. Well, I mean, obviously, your beard clearly says it's 20 years ago. Yeah. But... This is this is uh, incognito because when I have to go on the run, I'll shave it off and people won't recognize me. That's why. That's, that's true. I, I already <laughs> didn't recognize you. I, I know that it's made you very serious now. <laughs> yes i um i have the beard i have the cardigan and um i'm going to get elbow patches uh very soon as well to, to you know what you need is a pipe a pipe yeah, yeah I, might, I might have a i might have a pipe somewhere actually um yeah i think i have a pipe somewhere that i got in america excellent all right thanks very much Mira. 